Let's give Corey and them a hand again. They did a great job. This was very last minute for Corey and me. Um, my dad has the stomach bug. And so, as you would see in your bulletins this morning, it's got his sermon title, the back of his notes. So I have stuck new notes I made real quick on the fly pretty recently uh, inside of here. So you'll see a paper inside of there that will have my sermon notes because I'm not preaching his sermon. It's too hard to preach somebody else's stuff and know what you're talking about. So, um, but God doesn't make mistakes. And I know that he's given me a word that he wants me to share with you uh, this morning. And so I'm somebody, you know, I don't like the unknown. Uh, even like today, I mean, nobody wants last minute to have to do something or be caught off guard. And if we're honest in this room, none of us uh, would say that um, we like to be surprised by things. And I like to know what's going to happen, which is why I almost always, when I'm in a car, like to be driving. Is there anybody in this room would, that would agree that it, you're one of those people that if you're in a car, you like to be in control and driving? Anybody? And so, <laughs> um, uh, uh, about a month ago or so, um, me and my wife and kids, and uh, Michael and Haley went to lunch after church, I think this was the day, in Lexington, and uh, we ate at this pizza place that's supposed to be really good, and so I was just like miserable. I'd ate too much. And so normally, I always drive. I can't even remember hardly when my wife drives me. And so I'm like, honey, I went to bed real late, and I'd been up around 4 a.m. something to come to church Sunday morning real early, so I was tired. I said, why don't you just drive home today? Well, little did I know that I was hopping into a car in the Indianapolis 500, <laughs> and our trip home was going to be the last lap, and she was just one car behind. And so we would take curves, and I felt like we were going to flip, and um, my food was going to come back up. Every time we'd come, because live, we live way out in the country, so I got country roads, and every time I'd see a mailbox, I'm like, oh, Lord, we're going to hit it. And I was like, my goodness, God bless my kids. They ride with her all the time. Um, but that's just, uh, I'm just being funny, but uh, I love you. I'll be in trouble later. <laughs> but right now, we live in a world of unknowns. We feel right now, if we're honest, many, many right now feel like you're in the passenger seat of a race car and you're holding on for dear life. That could kind of explain the current culture and world that we are in. We do not know what tomorrow holds. It feels like we are just one news headline away from something changing that will totally affect and change our lives. Whether it be the virus, war, a hurricane like one after the other, whether you're going to know tomorrow if the kids are going to go back to school or they're going to stay home again, or finances or a job, we live in a time when so many are fearful. Fearful of the unknown. And if we live by what we just see with our eyes on a daily basis, it would be so easy to become discouraged and overwhelmed and disheartened and we would wring our hands. But God's word this morning tells us to not let what our eyes see rule our lives. And uh, your first blank, I think, in your notes, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, for we live, church, and we walk by faith and not by sight. Let me say that again. We live and we walk 
by faith and not by sight. And that's hard. Because people like me that want to be in control of the situation, like many of you, that, that's really hard. Because we want to know what's going to happen. And in days like this, church, we need to learn to fix our eyes on Him and to put our trust in Him. The other day I was talking to somebody who was struggling, and in the midst of all this, it just overwhelmed their life. And they couldn't take their eyes off of this current world and the situation. From the political climate to the sickness to everything, and they were just wringing their hands. And I sent them... Uh, we were talking, and one of the scriptures I sent was Psalms 20, verse 7. And it says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we, the church, us who call on the name of Jesus, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And when you boil it down and you realize who you put your trust in, it changes your perspective that this world is going to come and go, but there's one thing that will last forever, and that is the name of Jesus. And that is who this morning we put our trust in, not on the dollar bill or a 401k or what a doctor would say to us, but in him alone. And we're not the first to live and face the unknown. God's word is full of those who faced troubling times, hardships, and many in God's word that we have read had to walk daily by faith and not by sight, or they would have just they would have been miserable. And so this book, God's Word, is full of many of my spiritual heroes, those that put their trust in God no matter the cost. And no matter what, whether it was popular or not, they walked by faith and not by sight. And so one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible is Hebrews 11. And many call it the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame chapter of the Bible. And here in a minute, we will read through that, and you will understand why they call it that, because it's pretty much the great heroes of Scripture that we follow and look up to. But also, when I think of Hall of Fame, many of us aren't thinking of Hebrews chapter 11, if we're going to be awesome or honest. <clears throat> I think of—I'll uh, put, put some of these up on the screen. <clears throat> I think of for basketball, for example. I think of Larry Bird. Anybody used to watch Larry Bird play basketball? Incredible basketball player. I think of Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. I put Reggie Miller because I really liked watching him play when I was in high school. Uh, golfers. I think of Arnold Palmer. I think of Jack Nicklaus. I think of Sam Snead. I think of Tiger Woods. Baseball. Anybody in here ever used to collect baseball cards? When I was a kid, I just had binders of them. Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Johnny Bench, Nolan Ryan, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth. When I think of boxing, I don't know a lot of boxers. I always think of Muhammad Ali, flies like a butterfly, stings like a bee or something like that. When I think of football, I think of Joe Montana, Deion Sanders, Peyton Manning, Reggie White. When I think of swimming, one name always comes to my mind, Michael Phelps. The dude swims like a fish. Hockey, I think of Wayne Gretzky, Mario LeMay, Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe. Country music, I think a Hall of Fame for country music. Anybody here like listening to country music? Be honest. I like country music too. Think of the king of country, right? George Strait. Think of Willie Nelson out on the road again. Think of Loretta Lynn, Johnny Cash. When I think of rock and roll, I think of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, Elvis Presley and the Eagles. 
And then I thought, well, I'll think of some other categories of people that were just Hall of Famers in their category, even though there's probably not a Hall of Fame. I think of cooks, for example. You might think of Paula Deen. I'm sure some of the ladies in this room, if you're honest, you've watched Paula Deen. Maybe some guys, too. You probably don't want to admit it, though. Um, Rachel Ray, Julia Child, Bobby Flay. But there's one cook that it's absolutely my favorite. He's just incredible. He knows how. He can cook anything. And he just puts me to shame. And it's uh, Chef Boy R. Will. <laughs> and Will is a cooking master. If we're going to fix something, you don't want me. I can grill, but you don't want me in the kitchen. I just, it ain't going to happen. But Will is a great cook, so I had to put that up there. Uh, race horses. I think of Secretariat, Man of War, Seattle Slough, American Pharaoh, um, NASCAR. I've, I've been to one race when I was younger. I went to uh, the Brickyard 400. And I remember watching Jeff Gordon win. And so I think of Jeff Gordon. I think of Richard Petty. I think of Dale Earnhardt. Does anybody ever remember watching that race where he crashed and died? A very sad race. Rusty Wallace. And then my favorite of all, favorite of all, race car drivers, Lauren Cooper. (laughs) She can take a turn in a minivan and not flip it while I'm holding on to dear life. She's going to kill me after this. but I couldn't help myself. (laughs) But how do you get in the Hall of Fame? You have to be the best at what you do. And not just the best at what you do, like, I could think I'm the best at what I do, and I might think I'm the best golfer. And if you saw my golf swing, you know I'm not the best golfer. And if you saw me try to make a layup, you're going to know that for some reason gravity has a great effect on me. And I just, I can't, I can't go. But you have to be the best at what you do, and not only that, but others have to see and believe that you're the best at what you do as well. And Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter because it is filled with those that were the best at what they did. And what they did was serve the Lord faithful. Most wouldn't want to be in this chapter we're getting ready to read because it comes with a hard life. And many times, a very hard death. They walk by faith and not by sight. And in Hebrews 11, this hall of fame doesn't come with a big contract worth millions of dollars, but it comes with an inheritance church that is worth so much more. And so today, we're going to start off by reading Hebrews chapter 11 in its entirety. So it's a pretty decent-sized chapter. And as we begin to read through this, here's what I want you to do. Uh, if you got a pen, if you want to circle in your Bible, you want to write tally marks, try to count as we read if you can. I, I probably, this is last minute, so I probably counted wrong. But if you see faith or faithful, count how many times that's mentioned in this chapter. Just to see how important it is to our God that we live faith and faithful-filled lives. So turn with me this morning with your Bibles on the screen to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. 
And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. I love this next verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became, um, became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And by faith, Abraham. When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know, there's the unknown, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents and did, oh, uh, sorry, lost my place, and did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him at the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They stayed faithful to the end. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, and I love this verse. I want this to be said of us. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph. When his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And by faith, Moses, parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value 
than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And as I read this last closing section, section of Scripture, let the power of these words sink into your hearts, the faithfulness of these men to even the point that it's going to talk about. And what more shall I say? Verse 32. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released. Let me say that again. There were others who were tortured, and they refused to be released so that they may gain even an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, and they were sawed in two, church. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their what? Faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What a list. That's Hall of Fame list. It inspires me when I read this chapter, but if I'm honest, it also challenges me. It causes me to ask questions like, am I living out that kind of faith daily in my life? That no matter the cost, I will walk by faith and not by sight. Do I have that kind of faith in my life to obey no matter the consequences. Because church, if we're going to be honest, there will come a day in probably most of our lives to obey and to follow Christ will have consequences. And do we have that kind of faith and obedience in our life that we say, God, no matter what, my faith is in you and you alone. My allegiance is to you and you alone. So if you count it, did anybody count? We got, if it's right, faith is mentioned 
28 times. 28 times. Some God delivered, some went to glory. No matter the case, there was a common denominator. This is in your notes. There was a common denominator. It was faith. And in Hebrews 6, Hebrews eleven six, 6, this is in your notes too. It says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not maybe impossible, it is impossible. Why does God want us to fully trust him? Because God wants surrender in our lives. We must believe that he exists. We say, well, no big deal, we believe that God exists. We live in a culture and a world that says different than that. You know, you can say the name God, but if you say the name Jesus, people start to squirm and to get uncomfortable. We live in a world full of those who do not believe in the name of Jesus. That they don't want us to teach about him in schools. But church, we must be those that proclaim from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. That he was and is and always will be. He came, he lived, he died, and he rose again, and he's coming again. And secondly, we must believe that he rewards those, what does that scripture say, who earnestly seek him. We love the part where he rewards us. Who doesn't love to be rewarded? But not so much the seeking. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you get up in the morning, you seek him. When you're at work, you seek him. When you're with your family, when you're at home, it doesn't matter where you're at. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And some of you in this room, it's been awesome to hear the stories of so many that are going through experiencing God. And maybe for the first time, you've been seeking him like never before. And you've been experiencing him like never before. And you've come to some of those crises of beliefs where the rubber meets the road. But as I, as I think about Hebrews 11, and I think about all these different names and these people that I love to read their stories in Scripture and, their, and, and see their lives that just inspire us, there's a few that just really, I don't know, stick out to me as I was preparing today. And just two of them I want to share with you. First is Abraham. I love the story of Abraham. We could say, if you know his story, he earned being in this chapter. And God says, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, yeah, I'm 100 years old and my wife is 90. They talk about, on TV, they talk about pills that help with that, but I don't think that would help in this situation. This is a God-sized situation. Can't have a child. And they have a son that is a miracle. And God does the unthinkable. Sarah 90, Abraham 100, and he's given this son named Isaac. Something that he has prayed and longed for. Somebody to carry on his lineage, which was so important in that day. And then, God, would you ask him to do the unthinkable? Turn with me to Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. The title of this passage in your Bible, it'll say, Abraham tested. 
And this is so true. It says this starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. And even from the beginning, Abraham, obedience. Here I am, God. What do you need? He's not hiding. And he replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. That son that you waited so long to have, yeah, that one. That one that you thought you would never have, and I've given you at your old age, yeah, that son, that son that you love so much, that you waited so long for, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. And I can't imagine what Abraham is thinking as these words are delivered to him. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And as, and as I was preparing for this, this word just hit me in the face. He says this, we will what? We will worship. And then we will come back to you. Is, is he like, Dad, are we going to go over there and sing a song? Dad, are we going to go sing Kumbaya on the mountain? And I, I wrote this next in your notes. Worship is more than a song. It's offering what you have, your very best to God. Let me say that again. Worship is more than a song. It is offering what you have, your very best to God. And what's Abraham's best? What is most precious to him? His son. And he knows what God has asked him to do. You know, I could, this, another scripture when I was reading through this kept coming back to mind. Romans 12, 1. I don't even know if they have this one on the screen, but maybe they do. It says this, Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. God's done a lot for Abraham. Leading up to this moment, Maybe you might not think, well, he's not doing a lot. He's asking you to sacrifice his son, but he has given him so much and given him this son. So it says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he, God, will find acceptable. A sacrifice that is worthy of him. And then the word hits me again. This is truly the way to what? To worship. There is worship again. The same worship that he just told his son, we're going to go worship. And then we're going to come back. The same one in Romans, Paul saying, the way that is acceptable to God is to worship him. To give your body as a living sacrifice. So next in your notes, worship is obedience. Worship is walking by faith and not by sight. So let's continue in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 22 to finish the story. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering 
and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and the water here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, this is faith, church. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. He's saying this to his son that he loves, his son that he cherishes, that he waited for. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Can you imagine this being your son that you've waited so long for? God, I trust you. I have faith in you. And Abraham, without questioning God, complete obedience, it says, then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham looked up there in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took a ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, in the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You have what? Obeyed me. It was a test. Abraham, do you believe what you, what you say you believe about me? You know, talk's cheap. So you really have faith in me? Do you really trust me with everything, with your most prized possession? And in the two stories that I'm going to share today, here's what I don't want us to miss. When does God show up? God doesn't show up and deliver Abraham and Isaac from this circumstance when they're on their way to the mountain. Not when he's carrying the wood, not when his son's asking the question. And he's like, I, this is breaking this poor boy's heart. No. He waits till the, till the knife is in the air, and he knows without a doubt that Abraham believes God is who he says he is. And at that moment, when Abraham has stepped out in faith in complete obedience, God shows up. And you'll see this common denominator all throughout Scripture, that God shows up. 
But so many times, God only shows up once we step out in complete obedience. And in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, so Abraham calls that place, and of course he would, because the Lord, on a, in Abraham's mind, he was going to have to kill his son. So I can't imagine the excitement he has when he sees that a ram has been provided. So he calls this place the Lord will provide, and to this day on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Many of you probably have also heard the King James version of this, this word, and Abraham called the name of that place, you might know the word, Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh means God is our provision. He is our rescue in time of need. He delivers. Now, if you were to go to a Jew, they wouldn't call God Jehovah. They would actually call him Adonai or Elohim. So if you go up to a Jew, they would say Adonai Jireh, Elohim Jireh. Jireh meaning abundance, to bless, to prosper, success, fulfillment, protection, which is what Abraham is experiencing, God's graciousness. To rain, God will bring rain and dryness. Because of what Abraham just experienced, Abraham is saying God provides. God protects, he delivers, he sustains. And what, what a beautiful picture in this story of a shadow in the future of a ram, a lamb that will be provided to save us. That we could be Isaac. And there's a knife that's coming to us. But God provides his perfect spotless lamb to take our place. Just like on that day, Isaac had a ram take his. If, if, if we walk by faith and not by what these eyes see. In James 2.17, it says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by what church? Action is dead. Action is hand in the air, obedience, God, I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to believe you. That's obedience. You have to believe God is who he says he is. He gave Abraham his son that he couldn't even have. He has faith and trust in that same God. So in your notes next, I said, God shows up when we step out in faith, church. God shows up when we step out in faith, when we step into the unknown. So not only does it show Abraham's faith, but imagine the effect that this has had on young Isaac. What's the most important in his dad's life? He no longer questions. Abra Isaac is sold out too because he sees the God that provided and just delivered him. So as I think secondly, as I read through Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham sticks out to me, and there's another name that as I was preparing and getting everything finished up really quickly, <laughs> um, I thought of the story Rahab. And not just Rahab, but what this whole situation leads up to that's, that's a moment like this, where a line is drawn in the sand, where the rubber meets the road, And so Moses has died, and Joshua has took over for Moses now, and he's in charge. And so he tells Joshua this command. I'm sure many of you, you'll see it on plaques in your house and 
It's a really, really powerful scripture. Joshua 1.9, if you want to turn to it, look at it on the screen. Joshua 1.9, he, he says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua, he sends spies over into Jericho. And so they start coming after the spies. <clears throat> Many of you know the story. So the spies go and uh, this prostitute named Rahab allows them to come up into her house. And she, she hides these spies. And she lets them out of a window because where she lives is on the wall of the city. Lets them out. The spies go back. They're saved. And they decided, we're going to go across into this land. And so that's where it brings us right now. Joshua 3, verse 14. We're just going to read a couple verses. It says this. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It would always go in front. Now the Jordan is at what? I don't want you to miss this. The Jordan's at what? Flood stage. All during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and their what? Their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. They step into the water. At flood stage. And God doesn't show up before. God doesn't say, as you walk up, you're going to see the water parted. You're just going to walk on through. I already have it all laid out and ready. No, that's not how God operates. When you step into the unknown, you have to trust him. He needed them to walk by faith and not by sight. This is, I guess, some character development for him. Sight says there's no way possible that God can take this water and just like make it separate and the ground be dry and not muddy no more. Like that just doesn't seem possible in our human, human mind. But at the moment, what does it say? That their feet steps into the water's edge. God shows up. Faith says, or faith says God will provide Jehovah Jireh. This Next verse I'm going to read, I have it underlined, circled in my Bible, wrote in the front of my cover. I love this one short verse, Luke 1, 37. It says this, for no word from God will what? Ever fail. Church, let that sink into your hearts this morning. This morning, no word from God will ever fail. Do you believe this? If he says, church, that he will provide for you, he will provide for you. If he, he says to trust him, then you have to trust him. Yeah, if he, if he even goes to the extreme of saying, yeah, I want you to quit your job and move to Africa. Guess what? God's word will never fail. If he sets something in your heart, he will help you see it through. He will provide. Not a word from God will ever fail. He will not fail you. 
Over and over, we, we say, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But do we really believe that we can do all things through him? Not through ourselves, on our own strength, which is usually what we try to do, and we fail. He wants to move and work, but it has to be his strength being manifest through your life, his spirit working. So one of my favorite movies of all time, when I was a kid, my dad, they, we would watch it a lot, would be Indiana Jones. Anybody ever watched Indiana Jones? And so uh, one of them is like there's a big pit and they're going searching for the ark and they fall down in there and they turn on the light, uh, uh, not the lights, or in the lights, they got like a torch or something and there's snakes everywhere and I'm screaming like a girl. But there's, but there's another, another movie, it's called the, the Last Crusade, I think. And he has to cross this great gulf. And it looks like impossible. Why don't you all watch that this morning with me? Turn your eyes to the screen. believe boy it's a leap of faith today maybe God is calling you to step out in faith and trust him what seems like a leap of faith right now like he just experienced God is asking you today and maybe if you're honest what's, what's in front of you right now seems impossible and God says, walk by faith. Don't let these eyes dictate how you live. Today, trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your finances. Trust him with your sickness or your cancer or your children or your job. Most importantly, your life. Today, like Abraham, like Joshua, on the edge of the Jordan, the waters are raging. And God is asking us, his church, to step in and trust him. The deliverer wants to deliver you, but you have to step out in faith. Today, he wants to be the God that provides in your life. He wants to be Jehovah Jireh. 
just like he did for Abraham. His provision comes to those who worship him, who trust him, who have faith in him, who seek him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants to deliver you this morning. He wants you to put all of your faith in him. And maybe you've been looking at the Jordan and it's flood stage and you're saying, God, I can't do it. I can't cross it. You say, my sin's too great. My past is too big. This world is a mess. Things are spiraling out of control. I'm, I'm just plagued with anxiety and fear and worry. And every day I'm wringing my hands and I'm unsure about everything. In 1 John 4, 4, he says this, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, church, is greater than he that is in the world. Let me say that again right now. The one that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, greater than anything that you are facing right now, anything that you are dealing with, greater than any sickness or any problem. He is greater and so today we are going to close with a song that we sang last week. It's called Another in the Fire. The band's going to come out now. And as I think of this song that they're getting ready to sing, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God shows up. But just like these other stories, when's God show up? <laughs> when they're in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar says, bow, and they say, no, we will walk by faith and not by sight. And they look in the fiery furnace, and they're like, there's four guys in there. Because they are willing to be obedient. God showed up in their life, in their situation, but it was in the fire. This doesn't mean that God delivered Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fire. No, they still faced the fiery furnace, but guess what? God was with them in the fire. And I think of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, you stop praying. Church, the day's coming. They're going to say, you stop praying. You stop saying his name. And we have to stand and we have to believe that we walk by faith and not by sight. And in that lion's den, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he shut the mouths of the lions. Jehovah Jireh God provided for Daniel. But he didn't provide for Daniel until when? He was in the lion's den. So church, I have a question this morning. Does God have a blank check for your life right now? Is your answer to God right now, yes, Lord, no matter what? Maybe today you're in this room and you need to step out in faith this morning for the first time. You've never been baptized. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And today, it needs to be that day. Maybe you've been walking by sight and you've been so distracted by everything in this world. And you need to walk by faith. Maybe today you need to join the church. We've said it so many times. The church is a group of people crossing the Jordan to the promised land. One of the last blanks you have on your paper today. I put this, trust an unknown future to a knowing God. This morning, trust an unknown future to a knowing God. God is not surprised that we're facing a coronavirus. God is not surprised with your life situation right now. He is not caught unaware. He is still on his throne this morning. 
So as I close, I want to read a, a quote from a book I was reading a few weeks ago from Billy Graham. And Billy Graham said this. It's very simple yet profound. It's the last thing on your paper. He said this, fear not the future. God is already there. Let that sink into your hearts this morning in the midst of everything going on in this world and in your life. Church, fear not the future. Fear not your circumstances or tomorrow because God's already there. So today I challenge you to step into the river, to step into the furnace, to step into the lion's den, because guess what? That's where God is. And he is there waiting for you and he will sustain you, and he will walk with you every step of the way. But we must have faith to be obedient, even to the point of death, if that's what it takes one day. Obey and trust him. Jehovah Jireh will show up. He will provide this morning. His hands are under you, sustaining you. Today, trust the unknown future to knowing God. Let's all stand together.